Lucky number two. Welcome back, all you litwits, to season two of The Library Game, an eclectically indecisive book club where I, Amy, and me, Lacey, are your guides in this random method of answering that terrible question, what do I read next? And the way that we guide you through this maze of your local library is by using what we like to call the RSSB coordinates. That's row, section, shelf, book. And we pick random numbers and we narrow it down. And if you've made it into season two, you know how that's gone for us. We've done murder mysteries. We've done westerns. We've done sci-fi and fantasy. We've done the bizarre... (laughs) We've done it all, uh, except for horror. We still want to do horror. Maybe someday. Also, vampires have not Oh, up they haven't popped up yet. Somehow, they haven't found you season yet, Lacey. Two? Vampires, season two. Have you been eating a lot of garlic lately? Keep it in my I mean, bay. always. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so for episode one of season two, we have chosen the RSSB coordinates of 34, 3, 3, and get this, 3. And that, again, is... At our library, row 34, section 3, shelf 3, book 3. And that led us to... Truth Witch by Susan Denard. It is a Witchlands novel. I feel like this is going to get us right back into our wheelhouse, into our comfort zone, into our happy place. Because <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting fantasy vibes from this. So why don't you go ahead and describe the book to us, Lacey? So that we can do that most terrible thing. Judge the book by its cover. (laughs) So the cover of this book, Truth Witch, is big blocky letters front and center. And we have a female warrior lady who is sort of one leg up on a rock that's got sea spray flying up behind her. She's got one big sword in her right hand and... I guess that's a dagger. It's pretty big for a dagger, but like a large dagger in her left hand. She's got this very flowy cape thing going on behind her. There's maybe a little bit of like a trying to be sexy vibe, like a corset style top going on. Is she showing leg? Uh, uh, I think she's got pants on. Oh, okay. Well, good for her. But it's very tight pants. (laughs) If I can interrupt really quickly, because what I'm getting here is if the audience wants to paint a mind picture along with me, imagine... (laughs) So the rock that she's standing at in the spray gives me Little Mermaid vibes, right? Like when she's like up on the rock, and right? The pose is like Captain Morgan, right? With like the leg up, like on the mm. barrel kind of thing. And then the white okay. billowy cape makes me think of the Assassin's Creed game. And so imagine Little Mermaid, Captain Morgan, Assassin's Creed. Boom. But then layer onto that a little bit of like Avatar The Last Airbender because there's Mm. also this, so there's the sea spray behind her that's kind of white. And then there's like this very bright blue, I don't know if it's supposed to be water or air or like a gas or whatever. Ethereal, yeah. Yeah. But it's sort of swept 
across and around her, almost in like a partial infinity symbol mm. around her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't know if you can see this, but there is a very, very faint ship in the background. I don't know if that's like a cliff or like a big city wall or something on her other side in the background. I'm going to go with a city wall. So again, super fantasy vibes. I'm already feeling it. I'm having a hard time not going right back to Worms of Blearmouth from last season. It does kind of have that where it's like a fantasy <laughs> setting, but like they had a real person pose for the picture kind of thing. <laughs> But at least it's not two dudes in trench coats. But (laughs) (laughs) do you have a guess as to what you think this book is going to be about? Truth Witch. Okay. So Truth Witch makes me think that there's different kinds of witches in this world. And so I think I'm going to go with, and I'm spitballing here off the top of my head. Here we go. So this girl, this main character, our badass assassin Ariel captain morgan character here she has been raised within some training for different kinds of magic right and so as you go into this you learn i have a a knack for like this kind of magic or for that kind of magic and so she's like trained within this community this cult or you know whatever and she is obviously special different and not like other girls yeah she's not like the other girls (laughs) This is also from the youth section, by the way. Yeah. Oh, well, like see, there we go. Keep, yeah. And so come to find out that she's this type of witch that like hasn't existed in a long time. Mm-hmm. And actually her type of magic, whatever she is, has been repressed by this like secretive governing group within this training. They, they don't want their secrets to come out. Oh, that or just like they have gained so much power and control in this world. They don't want to share that power. They don't want to lose it. And so she has to kind of go rogue and escape from this and bring the truth to the world. I feel like you've just, you took a lot of last season and put it all in one book, (laughs) I think. (laughs) I mean, you know. All right, my take. Mm -hmm. I think that this is a fantasy detective story. So she is the truth witch who is brought in to like solve mysteries using her truth witch magic. Of all the windswept seashores and all the (laughs) lands you had to walk into mine. (laughs) I'm thinking that this is, I can't remember the name of the game, but there's a, a video game about where you are an investigator who goes out to this ship that the whole crew has disappeared from and you have to like figure out how all the we were just talking about that game yeah i can't remember the name of it but i'm getting vibes of that so i feel like the ship in the background like something happened maybe it's come in and there's nobody left or maybe there's like one person and they're not telling what happened and so she's been brought in to solve this mystery of what happened to the ship okay and then i don't know who she's fighting but clearly somebody has brought the aggression in the ocean Mm -hmm. (laughs) okay you want to hear how wrong we are? You ready? I, I'm always ready to hear how wrong we are. Truth Witch. Here we go. In the Witchlands, there are almost as many types of magic as there are ways to get in trouble, as two desperate young women know all too well. Safia is a Truth Witch, able to discern truth from lie. It's a powerful magic that many would kill to have on their side, especially amongst the nobility to which Safia was born. 
So Safi must keep her gift hidden, lest she be used as a pawn in the struggle between empires. I'm going to say that this name is pronounced Isolt? I-S-E-U-L-T. Isolt? Maybe maybe very similar to like Isolde, like Tristan and Isolde. Like Isolt. Okay. Yeah. Okay, we're going to go with Isolt, and you'll tell me after you listen to it. I was about Isolt? to say, are, are you going to feel weird if her name is Sophie, if the other one is Sophie? <laughs> Okay, Isolt, a thread witch, can see the invisible ties that bind and entangle the lives around her, but she cannot see the bonds that touch her own heart. Her unlikely friendship with Safi has taken her from life as an outcast to one of reckless adventure, where she's a cool, wary balance to Safia's hot-headed impulsiveness. I'm not like the other witches. I'm a cool witch. (laughs) (laughs) Safia and Isolt just want to be free to live their own lives, but war is coming to the Witchlands. With the help of the cunning Prince Merrick, a wind witch and ship's captain, and the hindrance of a blood witch bent on revenge, the friends must fight emperors, princes, and mercenaries alike, who will stop at nothing to get their hands on a truth witch. Hmm. Okay. That almost kind of gives me Shadow and Bone vibes. I think that was a book series. I know it as a Netflix show. Did you ever watch Shadow and Bone? Yes. So kind of similar, right? Like the different kinds of magic that people can do and she's the light bringer or whatever and special. Yeah, it doesn't sound like this is, I mean, you were definitely close <laughs> in, your, <laughs> in your guess, but it doesn't sound like it's like an unheard of gift. It's just a very rare and sought after yeah, I mean, it yeah. would make sense that people in power would want to control something like that. The thread one sounds neat. And I guess witches yeah. is not gender specific in this, right? So that's kind of cool. I do like that. An instant new classic, a fierce and vibrant world, richly drawn characters and dazzling intrigue. Do not miss out. All right. And this is the first in a series again, right? I don't know where it is in the series. It just says a Witchlands novel, which is, I think, what made me think of the Worms of Blear Mouth. Oh, it's almost like, like it uh, just exists within that world, but not necessarily like one yeah. storyline or whatever. Hmm. We've been pretty lucky so far about like when we get these books that are connected to other things that we're not. We haven't been dropped in the middle of a series yet, as far as I can tell. No, I mean, Blear Mouth was the closest. Yeah. But again, that was really more like, would you call it like an anthology kind of thing? Like just a collection of stories that are related, but not necessarily chronological or whatever. Maybe. And that's sort of the vibe that I'm getting here. Mm. Truth Witch is like a cake stuffed full of your favorite fantasy treats. Highway robbery, swordplay, deep friendships, treachery, magic, piracy on the high seas, and romance. If you like any or all of the above in the fantasy tales, this book will delight you. Okay, see, so I might have taken the entire last season and thrown everything together, but it sounds like... (laughs) Sounds like this author took everything in the fantasy genre and threw it all together. And you know what? This sounds like it's going to be a fun read. Like, it just sounds like it's going to be a good time. I think it's going to be a quick, fun, forgettable read is my guess. Mm. Well, I mean, you know, there is only one way for us to find that out. Yep. We got to read the book. (laughs) Can can you do that again? You sound like a turkey. <laughs> Wait, my turkey, you gotta go, <laughs> like, you gotta shake it. <laughs> oh the God. first one is clearly the fast-forwarding tape, which I 
now as I'm thinking of us using that as an audio really dates us because that is not a thing that happens anymore. Oh, yeah. I wonder if that noise has been confusing to you. Hey, Litwits, <laughs> do any of you not know that that was the sound of like tape fast forwarding? Because if you didn't know that, because you didn't know what that sound is, you're a baby. That's so weird. <laughs> yeah, you're a baby. So we read the book. It took you way longer to get through this book than it took me. I I ate through this thing. So I think that there is a reason for that. Okay. I started this book as an audiobook, but I also uh -huh. had the physical copy. And I hated the audiobook. <laughs> Why? So the narrator used really thick accents for mm -hmm. the main characters, mm -hmm. and she made them sound so dumb that I just <laughs> immediately hated the characters. Isolde in particular just sounded like, oh, <laughs> what will I ever do? I am stasis. just a strange little Russian girl and stasis in your fingers <laughs> and in your toes. <laughs> but when I switched to the book, and for a while I was kind of going back and forth because I was, like I said, I was, I was listening while I was running. So I would listen to mm -hmm. some and then I would like pick the book up and try to read in between and it did not go well and I kept having to redo parts of it. Mm -hmm. And so when I finally just decided, screw it, I'm not listening to this anymore, it was like a light switch. Like, oh, I actually really like the characters and it's an interesting story. <laughs> okay. I got to agree with you on the way that the narrator did the voices. It made it pretty hard for me to get into the story. I mean, once I got past it, it made the characters hard to identify with because they just sounded like babies. Yeah, and there was a couple times where I felt at, towards the beginning I had trouble distinguishing the way she did the voice for the two main female characters. And the writing doesn't help with it either because there are many times where I would imagine like if you're reading, seeing the words and how it's broken up on the page, you know, like how quotes are, are differentiated and everything probably helps you figure out how a conversation is ping-ponging. But when you don't have, quote, 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 Sophia said, or, you know, whatever, if you don't have those little ending bits in there with audio format, if the voices that your narrator are doing are, are a little too close together, it can get kind of confusing on like which character is talking. And I do feel like, you know, at the beginning of a book, you're learning character names and concepts and things like that. So some of your brain power goes into that. I think I had to re-listen to a chapter or two because I kept getting confused on like who was speaking. Okay, so with you trying out the audiobook, at least for a little bit here, I, I'm curious because we've talked before about how you and I are very different in the way that we approach the books as far as like you prefer to read, I prefer to listen. And then we also talked about how for you, you don't create these mindscape visualizations necessarily, it's words flowing through and whatnot. So I'm curious if with the audiobook, if you got any of that, or if it was still just kind of just words. It's definitely still just words and words in a stupid accent and effective voice so it just made it that much okay. worse okay i just i wonder because yes the accents in the audiobook were 
very silly. But, you know, voice for me helps bring out in my mind what a character looks like. And so I didn't know if that if that did anything for you. I have no inkling of what I think that these people look like. But the voice, to me, was indicative of some of the personality. And I didn't uh-huh. like it. And then when I was reading it, I was able to, I guess, imagine tone and imagine, you know, okay. like intent of the words, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So I could be in the way that I would imagine that would they sound. would say it. Yeah. Or yeah. Which was yeah. a lot, okay. a lot more like girl power, strong warrior woman than. Yeah. Stasis. <laughs> yeah. It was kind of hard to marry the concept of these two kind of badass fighting chicks. Yeah. With. I mean, Safia, not so much. I feel like hers was less exaggerated. It was Isolt in particular, who just sounded like this wispy wayfish, a strong wind would knock me down (laughs) kind of thing. I assume that that was done because a big part of Isolt's character is the fact that she is from this tribe that is not well liked. And so you had to do something Mm -hmm. to make her even more separate and more different and like in an audio way, identify this person is different and everybody around her is going to know that she's different. And then within her own character too, the concept that she is supposed to be so super self-contained and everything. and that, But like, she's also supposed to struggle with that. So why don't we start with Sophia and Isolt and just kind of go into like who they're who they are as characters. Does that seem like that would make sense? Um, Maybe let's back up and do a world view so like this is a world where some people a lot of people have witch powers Mm -hmm. that fall into specific categories but they can be manifested in a lot of varied ways within those categories and i can't remember all of them yeah so you have some very like elemental magics so you have fire witches you have wind witches you have water witches you have earth witches And then you have all these little subsets within that. And then it is touched on throughout the book that certain areas of the world tend to have more people of a certain kind of magic. So very Avatar, the last airbender. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. There's one empire, the Marstock Empire, has a lot more fire witchery. And then... New Brevna, which is where Prince Merrick is from, I think has a lot of wind and water witches because they're a very coastal place. And so I think that it kind of vibes with all that. And then throughout the world, there are these things that are alluded to called these wells. And they're supposed to be like the, the source or a wellspring of magic just in general. And there's one, I think, for each of those elements, basically, because the fire one or whatever is in Marstock. But the issue is that long ago, the wells started going dry or the magic within them wasn't really working anymore. And then you had this big war that was happening between everyone in the world. And the plot of the book begins right as all these huge major powers of this world are coming together to negotiate how they're going to either continue this 20-year peace that had happened through a truce, or the tension of the book is that this is like a powder keg that's about to explode. Everything's about to go back into war, basically. And so that's kind of what ends up drawing all of these characters together. We didn't mention there's another type of witchery called ether witches. 
um, which is sort of like, I feel like those are sort of the generic elements and then everything that can't be explained is ether, right? (laughs) And as you touched on, there's different kinds of witchery within the different categories. So a lot of the Marstock Empire people are either fire witches or another one that's in there is, uh, I think, poison witches, right? Yeah. What I don't know is if poison witches are fire or if they're a subset of ether. But both of our main characters, Safia and Isolt, are within the category of ether witches. So Safia, as we kind of talked about when we were judging the book by its cover and then reading about it, is she's a truth witch. And it means that her witchery can tell her if somebody is telling the truth or if they're lying. And then from that also, it seems like she can almost kind of sense someone's good or bad too. Their actions, like she can see what someone's doing and her witchery will say true or, you know, something like that. She can tell if they're shady, like if they're hiding something. But the flaw to her witchery is that it's based on if the person believes it or not. That's true. If I believe the lie, she's going to also believe it. Yeah. So like if someone told me a lie and then I pass it on and she hears me talking, she'd be like, yeah, that's true. Yeah. She she thinks it's true, you know. Now, Isolt has what I think is a way cooler power. She's a thread witch. And thread witches can see the connections between people. They can also see people's emotions as different colored threads. And so the world around them is completely full of these different color threads that connect between people. And if two people have a super strong connection, if, for example, a love connection, they're considered heart threads to each other. If they're super close friends, like Safia and Isolt are so close that, you know, they might as well be sisters. They often do refer to themselves in the book as thread sisters. And then, you know, if someone's angry, their threads turn a particular color. If they're scared, yada, 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 yada. And I think that that is just as good as being able to tell whether or not someone's lying because it's just a different way of being a lie detector, I feel like. Well, the threads have rainbows of colors and emotion. Like you can tell what's going on with the person based on the color and intensity of the thread. And then you can see blooming connections and and there's like multiple ways that they could go but you can see it developing Mm -hmm. it sounds overwhelming it sounds like the whole world would just look like a ball of yarn well yeah and so a lot of Isolt's inner monologue is calming herself down and we learn through the book that thread witches are typically taught to be reserved and very blank canvas on their faces, and to basically just kind of hold up a wall that helps them cope with all of that, really. That's what the stasis, we were joking about stasis, but that's her little mantra. Stasis in your fingers and in your toes. It just makes me think of, what's the little bat <laughs> Bartok. from the, the Anastasia? <laughs> Bartok. I give her a ha and a hi-ya. And I kick her, sir. And then I kick her, sir. <laughs> Anastasia's alive. <laughs> Basically, that's the entire audiobook is like Bartok. <laughs> it's just so true. And then you have other witchery that is kind of boring. You have tide witches that can make the water move. They help ships, you know, you can, wind witches can make a wind gust happen, can make a tornado, can gussy up a storm. So you have different power levels of that too. Another main character, Prince Merrick, 
is a wind witch, but he is not as good of a wind witch as his thread brother, whose name I don't remember. That guy can make an entire storm that can basically turn into a hurricane, but he also has asthma. (laughs) Whereas Prince Merrick can, you know, he can make himself fly. That's pretty cool. He can lift himself up into the air with his wind witchery. All right. But he can't. I have to pause you. Uh Because the majority of my notes about this book are about how much I struggled every time it described him flying. Because (laughs) it was so overdramatic and hilarious Uh because every time, I'm going to read you some, I wrote a lot down. Okay, okay. All right. <laughs> His winds throbbing inside, worse than before, worse than they'd been in years. Does that not sound like he ate too much Taco Bell? <laughs> well, okay. So, yes. He reared then- back both it- arms and then Merrick loosed his air. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. Obviously. Yeah. It sounds like he's just ripping massive parts. Yes. But also. <laughs> And what makes that really gross is that his winds also super react to Safia because guess what? Prince Merrick and Safia, they have this whole like, not quite enemies, but like, I hate you to I love you journey, which by the way, is one of my favorite, the whole enemies to lovers thing (laughs) is one of my favorite just like stupid romance tropes. It cracks me up because Safia and Merrick literally meet when they run into each other and her face basically goes into his open shirt because not all of his buttons are are buttoned up and so so much of their pissiness between each other at first is her just being like do you even know how to properly button your jacket and just like she's dissing him because he didn't button his buttons and she got a big old honk and whiff of his man chest i don't know there's a part later on where they're they're already like obviously liking each other but maybe don't yeah acknowledge it and they bust through this wall and i don't get it it sounds like they're rolling around on the ground tangled up with each other while other people are standing uh-huh. there observing for like, a way yeah. too long <laughs> They're pushing, trying to get a hidden door open, and they both tumble through, and she just happens to tumble through on top of him. And their legs are stuck, and they can't get up. (laughs) Well, her legs are stuck straddling him. And so it's just like, just stand up. (laughs) But also, people have arrows pointed at them, so like, you can't move. And so now we're just stuck here. We get a good little session of her inner monologue, his inner monologue, some quippy back and forth between them. (laughs) And the whole time... There's like 50 other people standing around. Okay, just a little bit of book plot. Everything starts in this place called Vinyatsa City, which is kind of a center point in the world, I think. And it's the place where all of these nations are going to come together for the truce talks. And so it's the reason why this prince from New Brevna is there. It's the reason why... Which is Merrick. Yeah, our our antagonists that we haven't actually talked about yet are there. So everyone comes together there. There's a ball. Safi is, they call it a domna, but it's like yes. a, I don't know. She's a, she, like a noble. Yeah, she's a noble lady of the court. 
Yeah. Her uncle technically holds the title for the lands that her family has, but she is the presumptive heir. And so the idea is that eventually she's going to be in charge of this land. Right. And she's been raised by her uncle. Yes. Yeah. Her parents died. Her parents died? Yeah. I don't remember why they died. They might have died before the war. The war ended 20 years ago with the truce. Doesn't matter. She's an orphan, of course. She's a special girl orphan with magic that hasn't been seen. Oh, that's the other thing. So yeah, as a truth witch, truth witches are highly valued by emperors, kings, queens, whatever the different titles are, because they typically try to keep them within their court so that they can suss out, you know, negotiations and and things like that. But they're also high targets for assassination because you don't want your possible enemy to have that one up on you. I honestly think that the premise of truth witches in general is way too overhyped in this story. Because like a truth witch could just lie to you. Right. And tell you that the person's telling the truth. And she kind of says that at one point. She's like, you don't know if what I'm going to tell you is true or not, even if I know what's true. (laughs) Is it an advantage? Yeah. But so is being a fucking blood witch, by the way. That's a thing where you can literally control the blood in other people's bodies. Again, Avatar reference, blood bending. (laughs) But anyway, so everyone's there. There's a ball. The blood witch is like up in the rafters spying on things because he's looking for Sophia because Sophia is, while she's being raised by her uncle, she's also being tutored by these people in Vinyatsa City where she is apparently just like, a jackass and goes around and like <laughs> robs people sometimes. And so she and Azult try to rob this carriage and it's not the person that she thinks it is. And this guy's being protected by this blood witch guy. And so now the blood witch guy has her scent as a witch and he's gonna get her. He's gonna get her and he's gonna get the thread witch and he's super obsessed and prediction time. I think he and Azult are gonna get Oh, together. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. They also have a moment of laying on each other, don't they? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I forgot about that. So the blood witch power is cool, though, because, like, he describes that every person's blood has a unique scent. Mm Mm-hmm. And the way he describes the scents are really cool. Yeah, because it'll be like, this smells like, I can't think of the right ones that he used, but like ice on a mountaintop and uh, a Uh clear lake, things like that. The emperor's son, who is a character we haven't talked about yet, smells like leather book binding and parchment ink or, you know, so this blood witch guy works for a particular dom, but is also kind of brought in on the hunt for Sophia because at the ball, Sophia, after having a very like heart fluttering dance with Merrick, yeah, oh, his winds where got his really, winds really get stirred up. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, just get that man some Beano. Um, but after that, the emperor of Kartora, which is kind of the general area that Sophia's family's lands are kind of under, announces that he's going to marry Sophia. And then... Which she has no idea about. Yeah, she doesn't know this is going to happen. She kind of freezes and freaks out and then all of a sudden the lights go out and there's all this commotion and she's being stolen away she comes to find out that her uncle and some of these people have been plotting for a long time supposedly to prevent the 
outbreak of the war once yeah, again. Yeah, the dissolution of the treaty. But what's weird is that the actions that they take kind of end up making it seem like everything's stirring into war again. Right. So I don't know. It's it's a bit convoluted, but in that we see some really cool stuff. So there's it's not Aaron, her uncle, but it's another character, and I can't think of the name. But this character is a glamour witch. And so this character is using their glamour witchery to make it look like somebody else is Safia standing next to this emperor and is still there and is smiling and like is fooling an entire crowd of people while Safia is being pulled away. And it only happens, I think, when the blood witch notices that her smell is gone or something like that, that he sees through the illusion. And so honestly, I feel like glamour witches are super rad. That whole action sequence I thought was really fun because like the guy who's doing it is like standing off in the shadows and he's like concentrating really hard. And the blood witch is trying to fight his way to figure out who's doing it and, you know, all this stuff. And so that I was like, man, this would be really cool to see. Again, I know I bring this up all the time, but like a movie sequence of that whole thing. It ends up with the whole palace burning down, right? Maybe not the whole thing, but like the place that they're at, they set the whole thing on fire. And then Edwin, the blood witch, he is sort of like fighting his way through the fire Uh and the people to try to follow her. The blood witch, he's a monk. We have not mentioned yeah. that. He is a Carowin monk. Carowin, yeah. Which is interesting to me because it's such like an evil setup for this character. Blood Witch is one of those things that's like people didn't really think they existed until they saw one. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of considered demons. Yes, because it's like a void power or whatever. Yes. Oh, void. Yeah, I forgot about that. But he uses that to his advantage. He leans into everybody thinks that I'm super evil. I don't think he's evil. I think he's actually a good guy. It's not so much evil, just that like everybody's afraid of me because he can literally just pinch your blood and kill you. So the Carowin monks are not all blood witches. They're not evil or anything like that. His particular power is just perceived as evil. The Carowin monks, the whole point of them is that back long ago, there was supposed mm-hmm. to be these people called the Car Owen, mm-hmm. which were, I think two it was like a duo, two people that are somehow like divinely connected, yin and yang, black and white, mm-hmm. and they are like representing the balance of the world and they're somehow connected to all of the source of magic in the world and they were to be protected. So the monks were there to protect these people and they don't exist anymore. Yeah, or they haven't existed in a long time. I think it's some kind of like cycle of, rebirth type thing these monks are just out here like rocking around waiting for the next pair to make themselves known yeah and so within the world the carowin monks are known for their skills i mean they're known as like the best all-around fighters and i mean really just kind of mercenary assassins you know and they do hire themselves out there's no taboo against that within their group or anything but they take a vow that is basically just when this duo reappears, you know, we will serve them. What is it? He has like an earring or something that like if he touches the earring. Mm, it's like a life alert. <laughs> yeah. It just kind of like I, I touch it and then he says, come. And 
the idea is that all these other monks come to his aid, you know, if he needs them or whatever. So I would really like to learn more about the monastery that they train at or, you know, just kind of the lore of the Carowin monks. But anyway, so Sophia's whisked away from this party and Isolt and Sophia had been separated at some point. Yeah, the uncle separated them and then he told Isolt that she was supposed to... I think, like, she was supposed to stay somewhere. Yeah. Um, And then she didn't do it because they don't listen to anybody. Yeah. And then Sophia was told, get in this cart and stay in the cart until you get on a boat. But she didn't do it because she doesn't listen to anybody. Yeah. And the two of them almost get caught three or four times because they don't do what they're told. (laughs) But they end up. They run away to a lighthouse because apparently, like, that's Mm -hmm. the best place to go. They kind of allude to it is that that's their meetup place when things go wrong. Like when they're doing highway robbery outside the city, like they're doing at the very beginning of the book. Yeah. There's a scene when they get to the lighthouse, so they're all like soaking wet. They're being chased by these monks. But they just start stripping down. And through a lot of the beginning of this book, I didn't understand if they were a couple or not. And oh, so I yeah. was like, oh, no, what's, <laughs> what are we about to get into now? <laughs> and it didn't go that way. Well, because I think that's the first time they get to the lighthouse. I think they go there again later. But they get in there and they change. And they're both like, oh, I'm so cold. I'm like, all right, we're about to get into this body heat sex scene, you know, and it doesn't happen. But yeah, I can see that. So this time when they're being chased, they're being chased by the monks. And Merrick, Prince Merrick, is like on his ship and he's supposed to come pick somebody up. He doesn't know it, but he's supposed to come pick up Sophia and deliver her to this town in his kingdom because she needs to be kept away from this other emperor guy. So he's sailing and then they see these monks chasing these two figures. And for some reason, they're like, yeah, we got to go help them. So he is winning, (laughs) you know, whatever. So him and his buddy that's way better at wind witchery, like, fly over and start fighting these monks. Well, there's a big battle. Edwin and then all of the other monks, because he's called them in, and so they're all chasing after the girls. And I think they're, like, at the top of the lighthouse or something. And there's this very anime moment, I guess, where... Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> they go into a pose and all the monks are like, oh my gosh, they're forming the symbol of the Karawen with their bodies and like their yeah. cloaks flying in the wind. And it, it just seems like a slow motion. <laughs> yeah, because Isolt is described as very dark hair, pale skin, and wears a black cloak. And then Safia is described as blonde haired, blue eyed, tan skin. I'm starting to feel like we're talking about you. And she wears a white cloak, or I think she's wearing a white dress or something at the time. And so like you mentioned earlier, that yin and yang, and then Isolt fights with these like scythe shaped Mm -hmm. swords. And then Sophia does like a bastard sword and like a parrying knife is kind of her vibe. So anyway, so these other monks see the two of them in their anime pose, flash of lightning in the background kind of thing. And they're like, fuck, turn around and run away. Well, they're like, it's the Karawen. Yeah. And they're like, we can't fight them and, you know, whatever. And But Edwin is behind all the monks. And so he's running up the steps of the lighthouse while they're running down going, it's the Karawen. He's like, you idiots. No, it's not. <laughs> and so like he keeps running up. 
But then Merrick and his buddies show up and they do a little woof, woof, wind witchery, you know, and then they whisk the girls away onto the ship. Isult is hurt really badly. There's a whole thing that we didn't talk about where she goes back to her tribe and then we uh, find out yeah, yeah. there's this bad preacher dude who's taken over her yeah. tribe. And he's, maybe we shouldn't have skipped it. He may be an important plot point. He's yeah somehow taking away the power of everybody in the tribe. And so he's holding power over everybody by doing that, by threatening to basically take all of their witchery away, which I guess he can do. And he's a hex witch. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily that he's taking their witchery away. It's more that he's just kind of taking their will yeah. away and kind of transforming into his own. And his Zolt... She sees that as like their threads are dim. Yeah, they're dimming to the point of not being in there anymore. Yeah. So quick thing. Her tribe is nomadic. They are not trusted by city dwelling communities. Very anti-Romani in Europe kind of vibes, you know. But they are the groups of people that tend to have at least one thread witch in each tribe. And so her mother is the thread witch for her tribe, but Isolt is, and this is where we kind of can debate, is Isolt really a thread witch? Because she can't do all the things that a thread witch can do. And one thing in particular is thread witches can make what's called thread stones, which is a rad thing. They can make like a pain stone that, you know, a particular type of precious rock and some thread. And if you hold it, suddenly things don't hurt anymore. But as soon as the power of that is gone, then the pain comes back. So her mother has another apprentice within the tribe and they were planning to escape. And there's all this drama between Isolt and her mother because her mother is very closed off like a thread witch is supposed to be. And Isolt feels like her mother just only thinks that she's a failure. Yeah. Her mom was very strict with her as a kid trying to Mm -hmm. teach her all of like, you can't have feelings, you can't show anything. Whatever. And then she was always competing with this other girl who was also a thread witch and like she just felt like was better at everything than her. And when she comes back, that's that girl is the mom's apprentice and she's just like so perfect. And she's so happy to help. Yeah. It's like annoying. But like you said, this is where we get into the argument. So the mom introduces Mm -hmm. This idea that there is someone out there who exists called the puppeteer. Mm -hmm. The puppeteer is supposedly a young thread witch, but her power is not the same as a traditional thread witch. Her power comes directly from the void. Mm -hmm. And it means that she can see threads, but she doesn't have some of the traditional powers of a normal Mm -hmm. thread witch. And she has extra powers that a normal thread witch doesn't have. So my theory is that... The puppeteer's power is the same as Isolt's power. So Isolt has the I same thing. I would agree thing. with that. And her mom has known this her whole life and has been pushing her and teaching her to hide it because she's afraid. Well, and maybe not necessarily to hide it, but just... To appear like a normal thread witch. Let's go back to A Deadly Education, mm-hmm. where our main character has incredible mustache twirling evil power within her and her mother has spent her entire life training her not to cheat not to steal mana you know whatever now that you kind of talk about it that way i'm getting a similar vibe where Azult's mother has been trying so hard to ensure that Azult is good yeah and you know a proper thread witch as best as she could be you know but also protected 
and not exploring other, you know, maybe considered like bad magic type stuff. I could totally see that. I didn't get the vibe so much that like mom's trying to keep her from being bad, but just that mom knows that she is a powder keg and Mm, is mm -hmm. destined for something enormous, something great, and has been trying to teach her the things to make sure that nobody else finds out until she's ready to step up to that thing. I could see that. There's a point where there's big fight. They do escape. This is when Assault gets hurt. They get her with like poison I don't know, like an arrow. Yeah, so the hex witch guy, which is funny because the last time Azult had seen the man, he was like, witchery is bad. The other people in the tribe don't really understand it or know that he is a hex witch, but he totally is. Yeah. And he's the one going around like, the puppeteer is going to destroy us all and blah, 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 blah. And he wants to, you know, blame Azult and say that she's the puppeteer. Oh, but so the extra power that the puppeteer has is basically they can control people. And not just control them, but they can make people's witchery basically overflow to a point that they kind of become witch zombies. It's called cleaving. So it's like their power becomes so big that they are tainted. Mm -hmm. And so like their blood is black and their body is just falling apart. As this is happening, they are the most powerful. Mm -hmm. They're like overcome with rage And so they will Mm. lash out and they're very dangerous. And I think ultimately they die, usually. They're basically ripped apart by this power. Well, they become animalistic. All they want to do is attack and I think like bite and eat I think like their skin starts to come off and stuff too. This does happen earlier in the book. A person cleaves and Isolt and Sophia and Merrick and the Blood Witch, I think, all fight a cleaved man. He was like a Tide Witch or whatever. And then there's this whole thing about how, like, a particular guard shows up and they, like, chop the head off. There's some zombie vibes. (laughs) No, okay, so I don't think that they do die on their own because if we fast forward to the very end of the book, there's, like, a whole city full of cleaved. And they're just, like, standing there because they're being controlled by this puppeteer. Yeah. Right? So I don't think they, I mean, they definitely have, like, pustules and it's gross. And I got very, like, zombified vibes. So anyway, she escapes from her tribe and this hex witch guy who shoots her with like a crossbow that has poison in it and it's a really bad poison. And then they end up at the lighthouse and they end up back together and then they end up on Merrick's boat. We started this whole foray to explain why Isolt and Edwin end up laying on each other. <laughs> so oh, yeah. she's poisoned. She's near death. That's right. And she's fighting him and she does a good number on him like he's she stabs him multiple times in the heart yeah but he can't die i guess yeah unless you cut his head off i don't know maybe he's a zombie so he's been stabbed or whatever but she's not strong enough to even get herself away so she falls on him and they have their moment Mm. of like her chest is on my chest (laughs) her hair her eyes and then Merrick or... His asthmatic first mate flies over, picks her up, and, farts and takes her, away. her back to the boat. <laughs> farts her away. <laughs> so now they're on Merrick's boat, sailing away back to Nubrevna. And while they're on the boat, we meet another Carowin monk who happens to be Merrick's aunt. And she is a water witch healer. So her particular brand of magic is healing through water. Now, we also learned through her 
that the other elemental witches have their own versions of healing as well. And basically we learn this because she says, I have done everything that water healing can do, but she needs a fire witch healer to get the poison out of the muscle, I think, or yeah. something like that. Yeah. She's basically like, water witch healing affects these things. The blood. Fire witch healing. Yeah. And then fire witch, I think, the muscle and I think earth witch, the bones, you know, just different things like that. So Isolt is dying and this creates a big tension between Sophia and Merrick because Merrick has a contract that he cannot break with Sophia's uncle. And his whole thing is my country is starving. They got really fucked over in the war. They lost the war. Yeah. I mean, like everybody kind of came to a stalemate, but they, Nubrevna, lost because they were kind of hit on all sides and witches from the different kingdoms like poison their water, poison their land. I mean, like nothing grows there. Nothing can really live there. And the people are starving. And there's only certain areas where they can even eke out an existence anymore. But his whole point of coming to this truce talk stuff was to find some kind of trade agreement with literally anybody just to keep his nation afloat, basically. And he strikes that deal with Sophia's uncle. And basically, Sophia's uncle is like, if you can get this passenger to this place in your land without spilling even a drop of her blood, then you can have a trade agreement with our lands, basically, the, the lands that Sophia's family owns. And he, of course, finds out, it's you? You're <laughs> the one I have to take? Ugh, I can barely stand you, you know, like all this stuff. But Sophia, in her constant, I'm not going to do anything that anybody tells me, she's fighting with him about, like, we need to get her to a fire witch we got to get her healed you know whatever then there's this whole big sea battle they come across another ship and then like there's some fighting and then there's these sea fox that was so weird but some sort of what was thought to be a mythical creature attacks them and they all fight and through it all safi starts to realize that like he's just doing what he has to for his country and i've been a yeah. brat <laughs> Yeah, basically. And she's like, oh, crap, we just had that whole fight scene. Did I get a cut? Like, is the contract okay? You know, all this stuff. But eventually they end up on, I almost said a Fire Nation ship. <laughs> <laughs> on a Marstaki ship where they steal a Fire Witch healer. And they do end up getting Isolt kind of healed, but not enough. But that ruins everything. and. Anyway, we end up in like a secret entrance to Nubrevna. Yeah. And they meet up with like an old mentor of Merrick's who uh -huh. is sort of being very chipper but secretive. And mm -hmm. he leads them to an oasis where a ship fell out of the sky. Upside down. Upside down. And like everywhere surrounding where that ship landed has life the water is clean there's creatures their plants are growing everything grass is growing yeah they've made like a new settlement here and this is just miraculous nobody's seen life in these lands so they to the point that merrick and his aunt fall to their knees and cry because yeah. they're so happy to see it yeah this is also at the base of the old water well mm -hmm. and so evrain is that how you say her name evrain merrick's aunt says that she wants to take 
Isolt up to the water well and see if there's like any healing powers left in the water. So she takes her up there. Obviously, Safi comes with her because they're very codependent. I don't know if we really emphasize mm-hmm. that, but they're like, I can't go anywhere without her. And I will literally ruin all the plans <laughs> in the entire world and get everybody killed on a ship or whatever just to save one person. Yeah. So they both go up there and Evrena's like, I need you to help me get her in the water. We need to float her in the water. And then, then she's like, she needs to go to the middle of the water. And she's like, she needs to go Mm -hmm. under the water. And she's like, you need to take her to the bottom. And she's very weirdly insistent about this. So, but the girls Mm -hmm. do it. They get overcome with this urge to swim to the bottom of the well. And then there's like an explosion. There's an earthquake. And they come up out of the water. And it's sort of anticlimactic after that. Because it's like, oh, she feels better. And then they go off to like the next thing. But to me, this is clearly she believe that they were the Carwen and that she knew. Well, yeah. So then later on, Edwin catches up to them and they know he's coming. And so Merrick has to go back to his ship because these Marstaki ships are coming and they're like, oh, we got to hold them off. And we still haven't gotten Sophia to the particular place that she has to get to in order to fulfill the contract. And now Sophia, seeing how into you know being a good ruler Merrick is she's like yes I gotta do this he's helping me I gotta help him now you know she finally gets a little a little not selfish bug up her ass or something and so her and Isolt are running towards the city where this dock is she has to touch her feet onto a particular dock in this city for the contract to be officially fulfilled yeah and so Edwin is chasing and America's had to go somewhere else. Edwin is partnered up with the son of the emperor. Yes. So his name's Leopold and he is actually like a childhood friend of Safi's. They grew up together in the mountains. I think it was yeah. his family's land that she would go visit and whatever. Yeah. They, they grew up in the mountains together. When the whole thing with the ball was happening, I was like, it's going to be announced that the two of them are going to get married. Mm. I didn't think it was going to be the dad, the gross old man emperor guy, but... Yeah. So anyway, yeah, so they're together, but then Leopold runs away. Yeah, he goes to the well for some reason. And then at the well, he kind of reveals to Edwin that he has some kind of witchery when people didn't think that he did. But I don't, it wasn't really well explained. Yeah. He was basically just like, I have my own agenda. Yeah. So he like forced himself onto the trip. And then Edwin's mad at him all the time because he thinks he's an idiot. The trip to capture Sophia. So Edwin's mad because he thinks Leopold's an idiot. But then there's moments where he's like, wait a minute, that was smart. Yeah. So maybe he's not an idiot. But then he does idiot things again. Yeah. And then he leaves him like under a, <laughs> under a tree or something. And yeah, uh, he's like, stay here. Don't move, you stupid, stupid prince. And then when he comes back, he's just gone. And he can't trace him. He can't track him. He can't like find his scent. But then he ends up finding him at the well. And Leopold's like, huh, you found this place. I'm... I'm surprised or something. And then they get in a fight and then Edwin basically makes him pass out by pinching his blood or whatever, but he doesn't kill him because he doesn't think he should. Oh, this whole time we haven't said a single thing about this, but a couple times through the book, Edwin mentions, yes, I'm currently working as a mercenary for the emperor to catch Sophia. But now that I know that she's a truth, witch, I'm actually going to capture her for my father. And there's this whole, like, my father thing that isn't super explained. He's like the... The Raider King. 
I don't think that that is explicitly stated until the very end, and I'm pretty sure that the puppeteer is working. Is his sister? Oh, is his sister? Oh. I think it's his sister. I hadn't thought that. I think they're brother and sister because they both are working for the Raider King, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe not his sister. I don't know. For a long time, I had it in my brain that they were. I was like, they're going to be brothers and sisters. Anyway, he also has a connection to Evrain, though. That Evrain was his mentor in the monastery. So Evrain is like, oh, he's going to catch up to you guys because he can just make his blood work better and he can go faster. And so they're riding off on horses and Evrain's like, I'll hold him off as long as I can. So Evrain and him have a little standoff for a little bit. And she's like, they're the Carowin. They're the Carowin. And he's like, that's not true. No, it, no, 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 they're not. And then they have a fight and then he almost kills her but doesn't actually kill her. He's very much like, I have a debt to you, a life debt. I spared you, so now my life debt is repaid, and next time I see you, you're dead. (laughs) Yeah, but he leaves her very injured so that she can't chase him, and then he keeps going. Then there's this whole thing where, like, in this abandoned New Brevnan city, because, again, most of New Brevna is barren and lifeless and, you know, all that, in this abandoned New Brevna city, Isolt is trying to just touch each pier that exists on the docks. No, not Isolt. Sorry, Sophia is trying to touch each dock. Meanwhile, Isolt has switched capes with her. And so Isolt goes running through the city, leading a lot of these Marstaki people who also want to capture Sophia because her secret is now officially out. Everybody knows that she's a truth witch. So they're trying to capture her. And then there's all these cleaves that show up because the puppeteer has been talking to Isolt since she's been injured, basically, in her brain while she's been asleep. In her dreams. So I think at first she thinks it's just a dream. And then slowly she starts to realize that, like, no, this person is actually in my head. The puppeteer is very affected, has been held in isolation and is definitely cuckoo bananas yeah Yeah. it's in that i'm the cute little girl with the teddy bear in the insane asylum (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh we're such good friends aren't we we're best friends forever and ever (laughs) (laughs) yeah and so this is where we definitely get some confirmation that isolt could be a puppeteer should she choose to and the puppeteer is basically creates cleaved by taking the threads of people and breaking them violently. And so she sends cleaved to this New Brevnan city to fight. And I think they want to capture Sophia. For the Raider King. Yeah. Yeah, for the Raider King. And I think the puppeteer is also like, I would love to capture you too. Yeah, so we can be friends. (laughs) Yeah, we could do this together, you know. And Sophia manages to step on the correct pier. Merrick's asthmatic first mate rustles up a hurricane that basically wipes out all the Marstaki that are trying to get her and the cleaved. But he becomes a cleaved. Does he? Yeah, he starts to cleave and then Merrick is chasing after him because he knows he's going to have an asthma attack because he's making (laughs) a hurricane and because he's using his his lungs too much (laughs) there's this whole thing where he's like there's a tornado and he jumps in it and he flies into the air but then he dives down into the center of the tornado down yeah through the eye of the storm (laughs) yeah and then when he gets down into the middle he can see that like his eyes are black or whatever ah okay okay but he still hasn't lost full capacity and so i think he's i think he says kill me 
And then Merrick's yeah. like, I can't. And then his girlfriend kills him. No, he just she? rockets off into space. He just, he's like, bye. Oh. And he goes off over the ocean. <laughs> his girlfriend disappears. Nobody knows where she went. I think she went to go find the asthmatic first mate's mom who lives somewhere nearby where Merrick's family used to live or something. So this all happens. And then Safi is fighting. I don't know if she doesn't know right away. She's fighting a person who's a very good fighter. And then she, like, the person takes their hood off and it's the Empress oh, yeah. of Marstock. Who is an iron witch. Yes. So she's got, like, these iron bangles. Uh, Morningstar. Yeah. Yeah. Badass. But she has these, like, iron bangles that she can use. And, like, honestly... The Marsaki Empress gives me, like, badass vibes, and I really like her. But she also, for some reason, in my brain, I think of Isma, the oh. witch lady from <laughs> the, the Emperor's, Emperor's New Groove. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which Isma, there's a little hint of that character in my mind when I think of the grandma in the Obsidian Tower also. I can see that. I don't see it so much for her. I guess I was imagining... I was imagining the Empress to be, like, young and pretty. I'm imagining her to be old and pretty. Very Angelina Jolie meets Isma. Angelina Jolie's looking more and more like Isma, I gotta say. That's what I'm saying, <laughs> though! <laughs> anyway, yeah, so she's fighting. They're doing the cinematic thing where they fight talk. Yeah. <laughs> they're going after each other, but they're all of a sudden kind of realizing that maybe they're on the same page a little bit. And they're still hurting each other. Yeah. But they're also, like... Maybe we can work together. And that's where they end up. Safi's like, I will work for you if if you agree to make trade with Dubrovna. Yeah. Basically just like you need to leave here and yeah, you and Dubrovna need to be friends. Yeah. And I will work with you, but I will only work with you under those circumstances and only while that happens. Yeah. So she leaves with the Marstaki. Meanwhile, Isolt has no idea. I think Isolt, does she find... Evrain and is with her. I think Isolt finds Evrain. She also has a slight encounter with Edwin again when she's like running through the streets trying to distract people. He's chasing her. I don't understand because Edwin is like, I got to get that truth witch for my dad. But at the same time, he has just got this like hate boner for <laughs> Isolt, <laughs> which is an, again another reason why I think that they're going to end up together because this whole oh. like enemies to lovers thing feels like a thing. Okay, so I remember Edwin runs into Isolt. First, she thinks that they're fighting, and he's like, No, I'm going to help you fight the cleaved. And so they fight together, and he asks where Evrain is, and she's like, I lost her. They attacked her. And so he has to go. He's like, that's my mentor. And he tracks her down. He finds her almost dead. And he does like Edward from Twilight runs her through the woods back to the well. Oh, yeah. And puts her in the Evrain. well. He runs Evrain back to the well. Yeah. And that's where he ends up realizing that Evrain was right because the well has its power back. Yeah, the well is alive. Then Sophia's gone on the Marstaki ship. And then at some point after that, Merrick finds the contract back at the upside down boat and sees that the magic in the contract shows that it has been fulfilled. So Sophia made it to the pier before she spilled any blood. But now he knows that she was seen leaving with the Marstakis. But I don't think he knows that there's going to be trade with them yet. I think he just thinks that she's been stolen away. 
So, and that's the end of the book. And I did not go look up whether this was the first in a series, if this is just like a book that takes place in a, well, a world. The, it says on the cover. It says a Witchlands novel. That's all it says. So it's uh, so that makes it sound like it's just a book in a world. But the way that it ends feels very like there's something that comes after it. Okay, so I will tell you and all of our listeners just to kind of help make sure that I was getting names and stuff correctly. I did pull up some stuff online for this and I found out that this whole world has its own fandom.com wiki page. So there's a Witchlands Wikipedia, basically. And I only pulled up Truth Witch because I didn't want to look at anything else. But the information on this, you know, says it was published January 5th, 2016. And it does say chronology on here. It says preceded by Sight Witch. Oh. And the next book is called Wind Witch. So I do feel like there is probably a chronological order. Yeah. It seems like. So it definitely doesn't feel like the second book. Like you started in the middle. Yeah. I bet if you looked at all the books in this I'm going to call it an anthology. Mm -hmm. If you look at all of the books in this, there's probably some that follow a specific order. And then there's others that, you know, are not necessarily the same story, but they fall at different places. You know, a solo story, the Han Solo movie <laughs> within the greater story of Star Wars, you know, that you could read just these books and get the main story. Or you could read all the books and get some of these little like offshoot stories is what I'm thinking might it might be like. So do you think that the ship falling out of the sky is maybe explained by the preceding book? Or maybe in the next one yeah. <laughs> or maybe two books before. I don't know how many books there are. Well, I don't want you to look yet. I haven't. I have not. And I will not. Because we do have to do wild speculation. Yes. Which I think we've done a little bit as we've talked about it, but. Yeah, I mean, we speculated a bit about the possibilities for Isolt with the puppeteering and stuff. Like I said, I think that Edwin and the puppeteer are brother and sister and their dad is the Raider King. The war is obviously going to start back up. I think that that's actually said like at the end of the book. Mm -hmm. that the truce is broken. Yeah. What that means, I don't know. I'm imagining maybe a journey to the other wells that have, you know, gone silent to wake those wells back up and kind of building up a following. But at the same time, you know, Safia is currently in the hands of the Marstakis. So I think that we're going to be going in that direction, maybe yeah, into that land. Do you think that Safia and the Marstaki Empress are gonna end up vibing? Because like the Marstaki Empress is put up as this like, dangerous kind of evil lady i think that they will get along but i'm thinking new brevna is what she's ultimately going to stand for like that she is going to become the savior yeah well and i mean obviously because her and oh her and merrick do kiss they have one little kiss well like a makeout session really. yeah i mean they get interrupted and that's when this whole ending battle yeah kind of begins so yeah, she's definitely going to be tied to New Brevna. They're they're healing that country, but I'm imagining something of a 
you know, there's a journey here that has to happen, right? Because yeah, sure, they're the Karawin, but maybe not actually yet. Well, it's not very well explained what the Karawin is and like, why are they Mm -hmm. important? Yeah, but I mean, like the last time the Karawin were around, all of those wells were working, you know, and all of that. So I I feel like it's kind of one of those like, yeah, these two are meant to be this big, powerful force of the world, this destined duo, you know, whatever. But the world is not ready for that full power up yet. We gotta we gotta wake the wells up. We gotta build up a crack team that's gonna become allies to these two. You know, very similar to other hero journey type stories. It's all Avatar. I'm gonna lean into just it's Avatar. <laughs> well, and that's true. Like, and what happens in Avatar? They go through the different countries and they build up allies and the avatar becomes a fully realized character, you know, and then has this big glowy eye moment at the end where he kills Ozai. Other predictions. So we've already talked about, we think Isolt and Edwin get together. That feels very obvious, but there's mm. got to be some mm-hmm. struggle that happens. Well, the struggle that's going to happen is that Edwin has to denounce right. his evil family. So he's going to turn away from his obligation to his father so my guess is that she gets captured eventually and taken to them. Isolt? Yes. And so then- To the puppeteer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Isolt's going to face off with the puppeteer for sure. But then Edwin's going to, that's going to be the turning point. He won't acknowledge his goodness <laughs> uh-huh. until yeah. she's threatened and he's like, wait a minute, I would rather save her than do this. I don't want this. Yeah. Now, what I'm hoping, I don't want him to save her. I want her to save him. Mm. Yeah. Or I want them to save each other or, yeah. you know, something. Because I don't want Isolt to be a Well, yeah, they team up. They're going to team up. So he's going to do the thing where he looks like he's about to kill her and do the thing that his dad wants, but his, like, fingers are crossed yeah. behind his back or whatever, you know? Not to bring it back to Star Wars, but totally to bring it back to Star <laughs> Wars, where Kylo Ren has Rey before... Snoke, and while Snoke the whole time thinks that Kylo Ren's about to kill Rey, he's really very secretly using his intention that Snoke can see. He's like, yes, he's 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 turning the blade and all that. And then like, there's a lightsaber next to Snoke and it turns on and cuts him in half. You know, something very cool like that. Sorry, everybody had to have a Star Wars <laughs> moment. It was bound to happen. I feel like the fact that it hasn't happened quite this much already in the podcast is a uh, feather in my cap. Thank you very much. (laughs) So I have another semi-prediction, I guess. Okay. And it is about Leopold. Mm. So yeah, because I feel like Leopold stuff for me kind of came out of nowhere and I don't know what to do with that. The stuff with Leopold, I think is connected to, so there are points throughout the story where Edwin talks about a blood scent that he like catches whiffs of but can never figure out who it belongs to and it's very transient like he can't follow it there's no trail anything Mm -hmm. else they're like a blood witch can track you across a continent oh but he can't track his old oh yeah his old has no blood scent that's another reason that he's sort of enamored with her but anyway so he there's this mystery scent i think that's the one that's icy mountaintops or something like that or or like a lake or I don't, I don't know, something something yeah. like that. I actually think that's the scent that he's following when he finds Leopold at the well. Yeah. So he's not 
expecting to find Leopold. He's expecting to find this mystery person. Yeah, because he thinks Leopold smells like leather and parchment or, you know, something like that. So I think Leopold may have some sort of dichotomous personality or like he's a shapeshifter or something like that. Okay. I think Leopold's got something going on that's pretty crazy. Oh, yeah. Leopold is like sinister. He starts off as very charming and super nice. Honestly, when the reveal was the emperor was going to marry Sophia, I thought that was the twist on the Leopold bit. It was that Leopold, in spite of his dad being kind of this asshole emperor, Leopold was actually a pretty chill guy. And I thought his heart was going to be broken when Sophia ends up dancing with and eventually, as we find out, falling in love with Merrick and then being told she has to marry the emperor. I thought that Leopold existed to be like, oh, he could have been a nice ending for her. Yeah. But it all got twisted up by these other people's schemes. So honestly, I was caught up entirely on this like innocence of Leopold. And so when he kind of had this reveal moment at the well, I was just kind of thrown for it because I was like, what is now? I will say that when he like insisted on going on this trek to find Sophia and everything, I was 90% like, yeah, he's a good guy. He wants to go save her. And in my brain, it was like, oh, he's going to tragically die or, you know, something like that. When this twist happened, I was just like, what the hell? He's a schemer. What's going on? What if he is in cahoots with the Raider King? Yeah, maybe he and the Raider King have an agreement where he's like, I'm going to kill my dad and I'm going to be emperor and the Raider King's going to get that much land and I'm going to get this land over here, maybe. Yeah, but I feel like the mystery blood scent and then whatever Leopold's shadiness is, is related. I'm almost wondering if you were to push me to make a prediction about Leopold like right now, I think what I would say is that Leopold is also a blood witch. And has been hiding his own blood scent. Oh, okay. If you were to like gun to my head, say, make a prediction, that has kind of been what snuck into my brain as we've been having this conversation. All right. If he's not that, maybe a glamour witch of some kind. I think the glamour witches are pretty cool and I want to see more of them. As far as, you know, other stuff, I think there's going to be war. Sophia and Isolt are going to be caught. I think we're going to see more with the nomadic tribes that Isolt belongs to. I think we might see a little bit more because her mom and her mom's apprentice ran off Mm -hmm. and they have their whole thing going on. So that could be, if these books are really more like an anthology rather than like a series, I'm wondering if maybe we see a book that's like, meanwhile, off over here, Mm -hmm. these people are doing this thing. Because this is a very large world that has been built up and there's so many places where so many things can be going on at the same time. I would imagine that the best way to tell that story is concurrent stories in different books. Yeah. So I already read some of my quotes. I don't think you had a favorite quote, but did you have like a favorite moment? Actually, the only thing that I wrote down (laughs) is stupid. The only thing that I wrote down is a quote from the book, and it's mostly because of the way the narrator used accents. And the quote comes from when Sophia, I think it's right when she is finally put on to Merrick's ship and she's being a very bratty girl. And at some point she's like, what is that smell? And Merrick goes, that smell is 
fish. <laughs> Wait, he said fish? Fish. That smell is fish. Okay, the way that you're saying that, all I can think of. Slap of the bass. Is it that? No. It's the Paul Rudd thing, but it's the thing in the mirror. <laughs> Give me that dick. That dick. <laughs> but yeah, that's the only thing that I wrote down. Favorite moment from the book. I really liked the whole escape thing from the ball. I like that. And you know what? It was super corny. The whole part during the ball where Merrick and Sophia dance, you know, there's the whole like, oh, my, she rustled up my winds or, you know, whatever. But everything from the ball and then into the escape felt very cinematic. And like I mentioned, I really liked the description of how the glamour witchery kind of attempted to cover the escape and everything like that. So I really, really, really liked that. I think that was probably my favorite part of the book. All right. So on a scale of one to five origin wells, what would you rate mm. this book? I think I'll give it a three. I'm kind of in between like two and a half to three because I don't think it's particularly well written. There's a lot of repetition of that like stasis in your fingers and your toes that I think is a little bit overused. And it is heavily reliant on some very tropey, you know, plot points and, and things like that. But at the same time, I don't hate that. You know, yeah. I I think this is a very YA. I mean, it, it is from the YA section. Let's keep that in mind. So I think, okay, I'll go back to three for that. I'll go back to three out of five because I do agree with you that the voice in the narration was a bit much on the audiobook. But I, I really, really like the world building. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that it comes back to like some of my favorite things about like sci-fi and fantasy is, you know, me as an escapist reader is exploring a whole new world, you know, and we get a lot of that with this book. I think this book does really well of just giving you little nuggets of, of lore. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of potential for it to be really, really good. And I feel like I would need... Mm -hmm. I'm making assumptions that there's logical backstory for stuff that will be explained mm -hmm. later. And if that doesn't happen, I would detract points. But I'm kind of mm, giving it the okay. benefit of the doubt that like you have to read on for this part to make sense. <laughs> and we talked about that with Obsidian Tower too, is it's hard to judge something that is part of a greater work as its own, you know, in its own right without any other context. Skullmance was one, you know, my initial impression yeah. of that was not as great as after I read the whole thing. Yeah. So and you know what we didn't do is we did think about wild speculation like into the future. But looking at this wiki, this is not the first book in however many books there are. This has a preceding books. So the book before this is called Sight Witch. So just based on that, what do you think happened before this? I don't I mean, I have to hope that at some point somebody dumps a boat out of the sky. <laughs> <laughs> like some kind of really big storm or something that had lifted up a boat. I mean, maybe, I don't know. But I yeah. There's not like a character that I feel like I can say like, "Oh, this seems like maybe they had a backstory that I don't know about." Like they seem like I'm supposed to know them, but I don't. Uh -huh. So I can't 
place where there might be a character that would be that. Yeah. Are you sure that's right? I actually think this might be the first book in the series. Well, okay. So now I've pulled back up that website that I didn't want to spoil myself with, right? And I might be wrong. So out of all these books, I'm seeing Witch Shadow, Blood Witch, Sight Witch, Wind Witch. Okay. Truth Witch. I looked at it. So this one didn't come out. Like Truth Witch is the first book that came out. Sight okay. Witch came out later, but it's a prequel. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. okay so okay. that's why it was showing chronologically that that one would come okay. first. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because here it shows like a box set and it's Truth Witch, Wind Witch, Blood Witch now together as a block set. So, and then I think this Witch Shadow might have just come out and. I don't want to, I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to spoil myself. I don't want to read what it says. Then don't, don't read it. God. <sighs> okay. I think we've wrapped our discussion of Truth Witch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't rate it. I actually think I would rate it a four after I switched to the actual book instead of the audiobook. Despite the fact that it is very tropey, I was interested in it. I am curious about it. There are those little unknowns that I would like to know more about. Okay. You know, the the mystery blood scent and whatever. You know that I really enjoy getting to be a detective and try to solve the puzzle. Puzzle things out. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so I feel like I'm getting a lot of fulfillment of that <laughs> with this book. <laughs> okay. All right. So I... Well, I think this is the first time that you've rated a book higher than I have. Well, except for uh, Sister North. Oh, that's right. You did like Sister North more than I did. But all of that is in the past. That's true. Because we need to talk about our next book. Yeah. I'm so excited about our next book. <laughs> if you are reading along, the RSSB coordinates for the next book are 2, 5, 1, and 12. And that led us to Always My Girl by Samantha Chase. So if you'd like to read along, pick that up before you listen to the next episode. Thank you, everybody, for joining us in now our second season of The Library Game. I am just so tickled that, if nothing else, that Lacey and I have just kept doing this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but thank you all so much for listening and for also just like participating in the in the Litwit community. If you have opinions about Truthwitch that differ from or maybe you want to back up one of us or the other, or, you know, just, hey, like, hey, you didn't even talk about this other thing, you can contact us in a variety of ways. And those are... So you can find us on Instagram at The Library Game. We are on Facebook, if you want to search for The Library Game there. Or you can email us at librarygamepodcast at gmail.com. Any of those will do. You could do them all if you wanted. That would be excessive. But you do you. Do all three. Yeah. <laughs> okay. If you are on Facebook, the library game is our community. We post on there. Sometimes I find funny memes that I like to post on there. And we have discussions, you know, and, and people give their recommendations on things. And so really happy to have that community there. That is actually where everybody voted to call themselves Litwits. It's not just something that I just decided to start derisively calling all of you. You picked it. You get to live with it now. <laughs> on that note. Thanks for joining us <laughs> for the first episode of season two. We'll see you next time. Bye.